Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place, South Tampa Campus. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear, and we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. So what we're going to do today, we, we've had a series at our TRP. We've been having a series this last month called um, Testify. The word of the Lord says in the book of Revelation that um, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the power of their testimony. And what we want to do, it won't be long. Um, we did have an extensive time in worship and me speaking Jesus. Um, but what we're going to do is we're, we're going to have some brothers and sisters um, give an opportunity. It's going to be like uh, not too many people in churches are used to testifying. Because back in the day, back in the 80s, when I was a little kid, you only had testimonies. Then in the 90s and 2000s, it almost seems like it kind of went away. Um, but what we want to do is a creature where people feel, uh, uh, culture, sorry, where people feel comfortable sharing parts of your testimony. Things that are graphic and stuff like that or explicit wording. You don't have to do that, you know. And sometimes people will get carried away and give like a three-hour testimony. And so what we want to do is also educate people on, like, what is the Lord saying? Just releasing this. So there is a, a system that TRP is developing in, in order to help people that don't know how to testify. Like me, I testify, I could go for five hours. I start with one testimony, and I'll be like, God's done too much. And I've learned not to be um, silent. So for me, it's like I go down the street and just talk to people. But I know when we come to church, there's... We honor people's time. We want to encourage people. If you're in an elevator and you only have 60 seconds with this person, how can you release and tell somebody what God did in your life in 60 seconds? You know, sometimes you're going to have a long time to sit with people at dinner. And then there's times you're only going to have one or two minutes because they're shopping in Walmart and they got to go. But you know God called you to tell them something he did in your life. So that's what we want to do. We want to encourage people to to do that and the method that we use is um is this method where you say your worst you pick i know our worst could be a lot of people even take that they have to like think like oh my god which one was my worst right and that's not what we're saying because i don't know about you but i i've had many worst many worst moments you know because you you go through one hard time you're like oh this is the worst and then like a few Weeks later, maybe months later, you go through another trial and you're like, I've never been through something so painful like this. But then a few years later, you go through something else and you're like, I've never been through something as painful as this. So there's always going to be a worst. You know, we all have these different testimonies. So you don't have to think of this testimony of like, oh my God, I needed to be in like addiction and prostitution in the streets and for it to be your worst. You could be like me where, where um, in 2014, my mom had cancer. And that was probably one of those worst, scariest moments of my life. And I thought I was going to lose my mom. And the Lord heard my prayer. And he spoke to me. He says, go to New Jersey because you will see my glory. And I had to pick up everything I had in Florida. I lived here for seven years. And God said, you're going to move up there. And you're going to see my glory. And that's all I had. You're going to see my glory. What does that even mean? But I obeyed in the going. And I didn't know that that was going to be a process of forgiveness, a process of restoration, a process of learning how to let go of what people did to me and forgive them, a process of confronting the people that wounded me, even in my childhood, to then heal me and restore those relationships. But Jesus came into my room and told me every single time what I had to do. He said, you're going to go to that old church that hurt you, and you're going to tell the pastor these words. And I'll see Jesus walk right through the wall, and I'm like... There was a day where I was working, and I worked from home, um, and Jesus walked right through the wall. And he looks at me, he says, your mother just told me to kill her. Tell her I said no. She will not die, but she shall surely live. And she will give an account of my glory. So I got up, I called my mom immediately. I called my mom, and I was like, mommy, did you just tell God to kill you? She's like, oh, my God. She starts crying and weeping. And I'm like, the Lord says, no, you will not die, but you shall live. And you will give an account of the glory of the Lord. She starts speaking on tongues and the phone. She's in the hospital. And it was just that moment of encouragement. That was one of the worst. 
And then it became the best. And now it's a testimony. So what would I tell people? So as you give your worst, right, your best, and what will be the message? What will you tell people from that little story, from your little journey? I will tell people, trust God. When God tells you to do something, you do it. When God tells you to let go of your pain and your sorrow from the past, trust God because he will save you. He will redeem you. He will restore you. Amen? Did that touch you? Did that, does that make sense? So we're going to do this exercise with a few brothers and sisters here at the church today. And, um, but it's to edify you, to minister to you. We did it last week. And I heard, I wasn't here, but I heard great testimonies about how people were touched. Um, so we're going to do that. I'm going to ask, come Ralphie, you're here already. Sit with me. So I'm just going to kind of interview Ralphie. I can't control myself, but I'm good at controlling others. Because <laughs> I know when I take off, I take off. That's why I'm here. I'm going to be like, bro. Because I know he could take off too. So please tell, tell them your name. You turn it on first. <laughs> what? Dale. Weba. So I'm Ralphie. Uh, I am serve team member here. I do sound, drums, um, lyrics, anything that needs to be done in the church. Uh, I, um, He's a good help. <laughs> he really is a, a really, really good help. Um, so tell me, um, what would you say was one of the worst moments in your, in your life? So, um, at 18 years old, I left, um, well, Pastor Abraham knows me since I was 15. He was my youth leader. Um, so, the church that I was at, I left twice uh, and went back. I was 20, 23, no, 23 or 24, I went back to, um, to the church. Um, when I went back, I had already had about three tattoos already on my arm. I was I left at 18 years old. I didn't um, I didn't feel welcomed. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel like they wanted to fellowship with me. So I just one day I just said, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'll go back to all my friends out there in the world and just fellowship with them because they don't. They always call me to hang out and I always go. So I left. I didn't feel after 19, when I turned 20, um, I started stressing out, uh, constantly crying in my sleep. Uh, one day I just turned on some worship on my phone and I started, I locked my door in my room and I just sat down on the floor and just started meditating, praying. God, why me? Why why this? Why everything happens? Something bad happens to me all the time. It's I never expected and it always happens. When I'm always wanting something good to happen, something bad happens instead. Um, so I went back and the youth pastor there, when I went back to that church, it was um, JC and then Sonny took over. Um, so they needed a drummer they, they were praying for a drummer. One day I just wanted to go back to a youth service. And I popped up and they saw me. They're like, oh, praise God, look, our drummer came back. I was like, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I came back to see the service. I didn't come to worship, to play drums. And so they had they had some rules, you know, and I, re, and I always respect the rules that they have. I didn't. When I went back at that time, my grandma passed away, and I was really close with my grandma. Um, she will always read the Bible to me. She will sing songs like old school, old school songs. Um, and then my grandma was like, you know, Jesus told me to tell you that uh, you need to finish what you started before all the bad stuff happened, before... So I went back. I said, you know, God told me to come back here to finish something. And 
basically it was to start War Rangers again, to start a new worship team for the youth. So I asked one of my friends named Angel to come play guitar and worship. He joined. His um, girlfriend joined as well. I had uh, another friend of mine that did sound. He was always shy, and now he's, he was the bass player. So at what moment were you your worst? When the rules that they had, they didn't allow a worship team leader to have tattoos up in the altar to play drums. Um, that had so a, you left You left church? I left church. And then what did you go, what were you doing when you left church? Went back to DJ clubs, events. Um, I DJ a big event in Bush Gardens. It was um, the international, the most popular salsa band in Puerto Rico. They're really international and Gran Combo. And I was drinking. I had a few, I had a few just, and it was hot. So I was walking and when I was walking and I was dancing out of nowhere, Abraham shows up. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to hide who I am. Because, you know, sometimes you have some, I felt that I had to hide who I was. Oh, wait. Oh, Abraham. Ah, uh, the church is here. And I have a glass of whiskey in my hand. Uh, but I hadn't seen him in, like, 10 years. So I saw him in, in Bush Garden, and God gave me a word. And I saw him, and I told my youth, my new youth group from years later, I was like, that guy over there was one of my kids at youth ministry, and the word of the Lord came upon me, and then I headed over there. And I was like, I chugged, I like, I chugged the drink I had in my hand. I was like, I don't want them to see me with alcohol in my hand, so I just chugged it. And I should have never did that because I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I started, they started praying over me. Um, I started speaking in tongues. I mean, I started crying in tears, like crying, crying. My face was wet in tears because all the hurt that I went through in that church, it, it hurt. It was to a point where just forget it. I'm not going to go to a church for what? You know, just for somebody to judge me or to talk bad not, to talk bad about what people do, but then it, re it relates to you, what you're doing. Like, okay, you know what? I'll just worship at home. I'll watch preaching on TV and I read my Bible and have worship at home. I have church at the house. I don't need to go somewhere. So, so what Jesus did? So Jesus one day, Jesus, I sat, I closed my room. Now that's where I was in my on my knees crying in my room. I locked it. And something God, God told me to call one of my old leaders. So I called Abraham. Because I read, I read, a, I read, a, I read a, a, there was a testimony or like he, a post that he wrote on his Facebook and I read it and I started crying and I said let me call Abraham so I called he was watching The Little Mermaid <laughs> he said bro you don't have I'm to watching. give that many details like, I'm, wa <laughs> I'm watching I'm watching a movie I'll talk to you later <laughs> I'm, like, I'm there weeping I don't know no I need to talk to you now and I called and I called wanting him to pray over me and like give me a word and it kind of went around, and I gave him a message. And God touched me so I gave him a word. And, and I was like, and then I told him what happened. He's like, no, I have a church that I go to. And, bro, they, they're going to love you. I'm like, okay. So he picks me up on a Sunday. He takes me to TRP Tampa. And I'm like, in Pentecostal churches, we do not, like, give a lot of hugs. It's just basically a handshake. God bless you, and that's it. And we go to our seats. So, and Abraham tells me they're going to hug you. This is a hugging church. I'm like, okay. So the first one hugs me. I'm like, uh, I'm not a hugger. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I just shake the hand instead. And I, I said, I started feeling like I walked in through the door and, some, and it's just, the church is so peaceful. And I just got hit with the glory. I was like, wow. I never felt like I had, my hair was blue. I was sat in what second row, second row the yeah the second row, and I just met Caleb and he they were he was preaching a word and he did like calling who need prayer. There's a prayer team that prays over you and the message that he was giving. Abraham looks at me. He's like, "That's you." 
I was in tears. I was like, that's you. And I go up, and Caleb didn't even lay, it wasn't even two seconds that he didn't even lay his, the hands over me, and I just went, boom, to the ground in tears. Because it was all that pain I was, I was holding in, and I couldn't let it go. It was like something was, was holding me, and I let go all that pain. And I let it go. It didn't take that. It took a while for me to, um, he gave me a, Abraham and Caleb gave me a, a word to like, whenever you're ready, you call that pastor and you apologize to that pastor. So I have a question. If you had to tell somebody in here that has been hurt, because what I hear is your testimony comes a lot from church hurt from not being received because of your past, right? For me, all I see is that the tattoos always represents your past, your pain. So if you were to confront somebody here, in a good way, right? But if you were to tell somebody that's been hurt by the church and pushed away by the church, what will you tell them to do? What will you tell them um, Jesus wants for them? Like if, if you only had 60 seconds, what will you tell that person right now? I'll tell them not to listen to to listen to Jesus and not to the people. I mean, the church is for everybody, and Jesus doesn't judge anybody. He loves everybody. So I will tell them to just listen to what God tells you in your heart. If God tells you that this is the church you're going to be worshiping at, then this is the church. Or God might tell you uh, you're going to be a street minister. You're going to be ministering to other people or you can find you until you find a church where you're you're in peace. Don't be in a church that makes you feel uncomfortable. Be in a church that makes you feel like you're loved, that you're wanted. And to not listen to criticism. I mean, I see that was the mistake I did. I listened to a lot of people's criticism about this, and this was not nothing hurt. I did this one that says God loved one son for my grandma. Because my grandma was always talking to me about the Bible and the word. And she always prayed over everybody. So this tattoo has a meaning of the love that Jesus gave her to give to her grandkids. So in the, in the, because we have to end and get somebody else here. So in the long run, right, you would tell people, don't listen to what others do. But listen to the voice of God. Follow God's promises. Yes. That's is what I is it worth you. it? It's worth it. Amen. Let's give them a hand clap. It's worth it. I'm here playing drums. I mean, come on. <laughs> you get to be in God's presence. Amen. Let me get that. Thank you so much. We're going to have our sister Jazz. You ready? We'll go briefer. I'll ask the questions. But this is the purpose of training, right? This is like a training so people get ideas on how to do it. Because sometimes we're not going to have that much time to, to tell people what to do. Or sometimes even all the details, all the tiny little details we could get up on, we don't have to focus much on those teeny tiny details, but focus more on what is it that Jesus did. What is it, how is it that Jesus met me? How, how painful it was. You don't have to mention um, people's names that hurt you. When you mention people's names, that, that still demonstrate pain. or Because you're still putting their names out there. You don't want to do that. You want to go confront people. And then that's healed. Like when I speak my testimony about being abused, I just say my abuser, my molester, the person that abandoned me. But I don't like giving like details or specific. I, it was my husband. It was my wife. It was my kids. You know that? You could just be like, I was hurt in this way. And nobody will know. Unless it's a safer group setting where maybe it's directly in that field. Like if you're in a women's group that, or a, a, a group of women that has been like trafficked and they need explicit details and God leads you to that place, then you can open your mouth and give those explicit explicit details. Does that make sense? Is anybody learning? Getting ideas on how to share? Okay, so Jess. This is Jess, and I love Jess so much. Jess is quiet and shy, but Jess is amazing. And um, Jess has been with me um, since I started pastoring, right? A few months after I started pastoring, she showed up. And she's been faithful, and she plays the drums and helps with audio here. So, tell her your name. Yeah, Jess Perez. <laughs> yeah. Jess is going to be more the opposite to Ralphie. Ralphie could talk. Jess, is, Jess you got to pull the words out. So, Jess, what will you tell me was one of the, the worst moments in your life? 
moments would have to be um, I have developed a strong addiction to prescription medication um, it's something I struggled for for a while the worst moment would have to be uh, when I took way too much um, the ambulance was called and uh, by the time the paramedics were there I was already frothing at the mouth which pretty much means that I've overdosed body's going into some state of shock. Um, I was taken to the hospital, rushed to the hospital. I spent three days on life support in a coma. And uh, um, I remember the person that was with me at the time kept saying that I, once I was starting to come out of the coma, I kept seeing this woman dressed in black at the corner of my bed. Nobody else obviously could see it, just me. Um, I honestly believe that that was the devil waiting for me, waiting for my soul. And that's where God met me, in that hospital bed. They had me strapped, because um, apparently I was very combative when they, when they brought me in. I didn't know this, obviously. That's where he met me. What did um what did Jesus do, or how did how did you know you encounter him? Or I encountered him there in that hospital room. Um, uh, you know, once I was released, you know, I felt so lucky to be alive, and God let me know I have a greater purpose for you. Your time on earth isn't done. I know if I would have passed away at that moment, I wouldn't be going up to him. That's scary. I grew up in the church, played drums at a previous church. And to think that I ran away from God, I ran away from him because I didn't want God to see me in that shame, you know, in the shame of my sin. So I put that wall up. I didn't want God to, to see me, to know me. Just forget about me. This is my life. And this is what I want to do the way I want to do it. It almost, cost, it almost cost me my life. And that was uh, December 3rd, 2017. A day that I'll never forget. Since then, I've gone in such a straight and narrow it's unbelievable I remember the minute that I got out of the hospital my friend took me to Walmart and I saw kids playing and they were running around the store and I was like wow I almost I almost was not able to experience this every time that I'm stressed now every time that I'm anxious every time that I'm angry every time that I'm happy I embrace the emotion because I don't have to take pills I don't have to hide from my emotions I don't have to hide from any of that I'm happy to feel stress I'm happy to feel anger I'm happy to feel happy I'm happy to feel sadness I'm happy to feel sorrow because I can feel my body spiritually my emotions I can feel and it's like wow I almost lost it all I love God and if there's anybody that's going through it, if you have family members that are going through it, keep praying for them. My mom never stopped praying for me. It got to the point that even she told me, after all this was said and done, I was waiting for you to die. Because I didn't know what else to do. And for your mom to say that. It's like, God is so good. What will you tell um, somebody that's, struggling with like let's say like an addiction like a self-prescribed medication or somebody that's going through so much anxiety and depression that nobody else knows um what would you tell them it's not worth it if you're gonna take medication take it as prescribed it's not worth it because the minute that you start taking two doses in one hit instead of the your prescribed amount forget it it's a wrap the devil, you then come in agreement with the devil, and that's it. And it's a slippery slope, and it's a rabbit hole that you do not want to go into. 
because a lot of people that I know never came out of it. There's a lot of people that I know that are six feet on the ground. It's not worth it. And what will you tell them? Jesus would do for, Let's say there is somebody in here right now that is in exactly in that place. What will you tell them Jesus will do for them? Jesus will change your life. Jesus will show you that life is worth living. Jesus will show you how beautiful it is. Yeah, you're going to go through your hard times. Everybody's going to go through their hard times. Everybody's going to have struggles. But God is going to show you another way. And there is another way for everybody to survive this so-called thing that we call life. And the daily struggles that we go through. I mean, I went, you know, it, it was a culmination of events that, that led me to the point that I took a massive amount of, of medication. When I came out of it, the job that I had had already laid me off. I went from making 60K a year to working out in the fields, making $9 an hour, still having to try to pay rent, but I did all of that sober. And there were times that I couldn't sleep because I wondered where the rent money was gonna come from, but I woke up in the middle of the night, I went into the living room and I started to praise God. And if there was a time for me to relapse, it would have been right there. Because, I mean, I was struggling. God has so much promise for everyone in this, in, this, in this room right now. You have so much to give yet to God. Don't ever give up. Don't give up until God comes to you and says, it's time for you to come on. It's time for you to go. Your mission has been accomplished here on earth. My mission wasn't accomplished yet at that time. When I play drums here, and I, I mentioned it before, is the only time I feel like I'm actually flying. And I was so crazy to just let, all, let it all go. It's like now, I struggle to even take Tylenol, you know? Like I'm working and I'm like, I don't know if I can take this Tylenol for work, let's see here. You know, I'm so straight and narrow. So you would say that God will set you free. God will set you free. You would free. tell people God loves them. God loves them. Amen. Let's give a just yeah. a round of applause. See, people warm up, and then they could take off. Be like, wow, look at that. I've never heard those words before. Thank you so much. We have our brother Christian. Um, Yeah, wow. That, that really rocked my heart. I didn't know so much about her testimony. And that's not, I know it's not everything, but even this, these words, these bits and pieces are like hitting my heart. Christian, Hi. say hello. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so what would you tell me is um, one of your worst moments? Um, so I know you said 60 seconds, but I'm not a, I'm a decade kind of guy. Yeah. You know, I'm a, um, I know, I know, trust me, the people that I called up. Last week we had like the leaders... And then this week, I wanted to bring people that always kind of hide in the corners, that I always see them, and I'm like, hey, you want to, and they're like, <laughs> and I'm like, come on, I, I, I really, I want the people to see the people that, you know, are, are, tend to be more afraid of speaking, so, so I'm glad you're up here. Thank you. <laughs> He's like, does that mean I have an hour? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> Go ahead. So when I think about my life, I think about book of lamentations a lot of times we we sit up here and we go oh yeah praise god for this praise god for that but where's god in in the midst of the trial where's god in the midst of the death and the destruction um you know from a very young age i i, I didn't grow up in church um i went to church maybe till i was five and we were making little um farm animal little cotton ball sheep and things like that and you know, I wanted to go outside and play, so I didn't. I didn't grow up in the church, and we stopped going. Um, and then, you know, life progressed, and you know, as I got older, um, my mother was very conservative, my father was very liberal, um, and so you, um, they were both. They were divorced, so I grew up in a divorce household, and so for a long time, for a lot of years, I just I felt completely forgotten. I've always, I always tried to, you know, win my parents over. I always tried to win their love. I always tried to do the best that I could, and it was just never good enough. Um, and then when I was 13 years old, I know you said don't mention names, but this plays a big role. Um, 
I was sexually abused by my, my father and his girlfriend um, over the course of a summer. Um, and for the first time, that was the first time that I felt loved and accepted. Um, and that really permeated my life, and it, it locked me away from my mother, and I, I didn't have a relationship with my mom for about four years. I didn't, I didn't talk to her for a year of that time. Um, Dan Allender talks about in his book how when, when a person goes through sexual trauma or sexual abuse, a lot of times what we do is we take that child and we stick them in a locked door somewhere deep down inside, um, and there's a bodyguard that stands in front of that door. And so for a long time, that was where I was. I was trapped inside of this, this locked room in the back corner of my mansion, my internal mansion with a bodyguard with a big stick. And nobody was allowed to come in and nobody was allowed to see me. And then um, in 2011, my father died of a major heart attack. Uh, his aorta exploded, and I watched him die uh, in front of me. And if there was a God, I did not want anything to do with that God. And so I became very bitter and very angry and very resentful at everybody and everything. And then um, from there, you know, I went off to college, <clears throat> and I was part of a college ministry called InterVarsity. And... Um, I met a girl, and she tricked me into going to one of the small group meetings, and I said, uh, is this one of the things with your crazy Christian friends? And she goes, yeah, and I was like, nope, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm out. And uh, she's like, no, 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 come check it out for five minutes. And so that first encounter, you know, I had all these questions, you know, is my dad saved? Is he in heaven? And I'll ever see him again. And uh, they just, they received my questions with so much love, and, and I came down here, uh, to do service projects with the Timothy Initiative uh, in the inner city in Tampa. And I remember standing outside of one of the houses, and somebody was asking me about something, is God present in AA? And I said, yeah, my dad was in AA for 22 years um, before he died. You know, he was sober. And so went from there, and I went to the beach out in Sarasota. You like it out there, yeah. And I was standing there on this beach, it was me and the girl I was with at the time, and I looked out over the ocean and I said, God, I said, my dad loved the beach. I said, this is a place that, you know, he would love to be, just crystal clear water, beautiful white beach. And I said, God, I said, if you give me, a, grant me a walk hand in hand with you and my father on a beach just like this, I'll follow you for the rest of my life. And we went and sat down in the sand and I, I remember sitting there and I said, God, I said, if my father is with you, give me something. I need to know, because if I can't see him again, then what's the point of following you? And all of a sudden, man, out of nowhere, this love and this light just came and wrapped me, and I just broke, and I crumbled, and I knew that God was real. I knew that my father was in heaven, and that I would see him again. And I went from that place and went home, got baptized, did the whole Jesus thing. and But I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that meant, and so I just continued to live my life the way that I was living it, partying, sleeping around, doing whatever, and then the girl that I was with left me, she cheated on me, and that sent me into this deep spiraling depression where I, you know, one night, one faithful night, I was in my room, and I strung two rope belts together and proceeded to try and hang myself, and I, as everything started to go black, I came to in the middle of my room, and you know, I, I, I knew at that moment, you know, I tell people my, my relationship with Jesus started on a beach in Sarasota, but my relationship with Jesus really didn't start until I was in that sobbing puddle in the middle of my room after trying to kill myself. And so from there, I said, God, kill me or do something different because I'm absolutely tired. I'm sick and tired of this. And so, you know, a year progressed and I was super suicidal. I was self-medicating, lots of Adderall, lots of booze, lots of this. Um, I bought a shotgun. I, you know what I'm saying? It was just really messy. And this one pastor friend kept reaching out to me. Hey, man, you want to come back down to Tampa? Hey, man, you want to come back down to Tampa? And I just reluctantly said yes. And so I came back down here, and I was standing on the roof at Sly House, which is our main ministry house where we hold the Timothy Initiative Bible Studies. And God said to me, it was almost as if he was standing behind me, and I was sitting there talking to two of the brothers. And God said, you know, these are your people. This is where you need to be. I said, okay. And so I told the main house leader my story. He said, go home, man, graduate, do whatever you need to do, and come back down, and we'll have a bed for you. And I thought I was full of crap. <laughs> and 
And so that's what I did. I went home, packed all my stuff into a five by five storage unit, hopped on a plane, and that was seven, seven and a half years ago. What will you tell? What will you tell um, somebody that's in that situation? Somebody that's suicidal, addicted, sure. broken, and what would you tell them? Like, how would you invite them to know the Lord? So there was actually a song that we sang, It's Your Breath in Our Lungs. And I remember when I was in my mess and my depression, I would sit on my back porch and I would smoke cigarettes and I would I would sing that song. <laughs> kind of kind of a jab at God, right? It's your breath in my lungs, you know, smoking, smoking. Anyway, but... Um, keep singing. Keep singing. <laughs> and that's what happened, right? And so God, God will meet you in your mess. God will redeem the brokenness. God will restore. That's what he's in the business of doing. He's, he's in the business of restoration. Because about a year, and a, a year ago, I got in contact with my father's sister. <laughs> and she's a believer, and nobody else in my family is. But she told me, she said, a year before your father died, he met with Uncle Dave, and he gave his life to the Lord. I didn't know this. And what I came to realize is that the abuse and the, tra and the trauma that I went through led my father to the Lord. The pain and the brokenness that he went through in that space led him to the place of surrender and led him to Jesus. And then in his death, God was able to reach me. And so my therapist told me a while back, it's almost as if we were the sacrificial lamb for the other. So God's in the business of restoring. And then this past year, I was able to tell my mom about the abuse. And then it's also in the book, The Uncovery, that George just wrote. And so God is in the business of restoring. So don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. And know that he is with you in the midst of suffering. Amen. Amen. You know what's happening, right? This is amazing. Thank you so much. You know, it's. I'm, I'm, I'm like, as he's speaking, God's like, you're creating monsters. <laughs> like testifying monsters where they're, I, I saw it. Like I saw it on Ralphie. It's almost like, oh, yeah, and then this other time. And then Jess did the same thing. He said, oh, yeah, and then a year ago. And then uh, five years ago. And, and I, it's almost like one testimony is going to like, boom, knock the door to the other testimony. And all of a sudden, you just get used to knocking doors down. Because I'm seeing you guys right now even taste what freedom looks like. And if I don't stop it, they'll still Rafi will still be on here right now, you know. Um, but the whole purpose is where people become so comfortable, so confident in releasing their testimony that anywhere you go, you sit with a friend like, oh, let me tell you this time that Jesus did this. You know, it's not about how, about how many Bible verses you know or how good you're good at quoting scripture. No, it's knowing what he did for you. And then when you when you know that much, people know it's real. Because people are not going to know they're gonna, you're going to go and quote some Bible verse. Any Christian that pulls you over is going to be like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you so believe it, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, what does that mean to you? Tell me how he healed you. Tell me how he saved you. Tell me how he met you. And that makes a major difference. So I'm really grateful. You see, I'm taking up. And the last person... Sister Everell, come on. This is beautiful. Is this blessing anybody? This is a Sister Everell. She's a powerful worship prophet of the Lord. And I know she could take off, so I'm going to hold on. <laughs> I'm going to ride with you on your horse. <laughs> she had 10 pages, people. <laughs> I've been a Christian for 40 years. We're going to have more, more of these worry. events. I'm not going to give that sto whole story. To give people encouragement. So tell me, okay. um, no. what would you say was uh, your worst? Okay, my worst is was my childhood. My father was emotionally abusive, and um, we grew up in a Christian science, very religious home. Like, I mean, strict religious. Like, if you come home pregnant, we'll disown you and, you know, all that kind of, you know, religious, uh, legalistic. Christian science. Um, my father didn't want children, so he, um, I have a twin sister, so he hated women because he was abused by his mother. So he always told me and my sister, you're stupid like your mother, you're never going to accomplish anything. 
he wouldn't let me play piano even though I have a gift for music because he didn't like children making noise. He wouldn't let us talk to him. We weren't allowed to laugh. And so I always ran outside and played with, you know, my horses because uh, we had horses in Connecticut. But um, my, let's see. Uh, so spirits of rejection uh, because I never had the love of a father. He never loved us. When we were five years old, he said to my, he used to spank us. The only time he came near us was to punish us. So no affection, no love, no hugs, you know, nothing like that. So anyway, when we were five years old, my mother said, I don't want you spanking them anymore. And he said, well, then I'll raise the boy. That was my brother. And you raise the girls. But the problem is we lived in the same house. So we had to live with him, but he didn't talk to us. He ignored us. So I was always taking that shame internally as a child, as a victim of that environment. And I'm uh, thinking, why doesn't my father love me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Why can't he love me like other kids' fathers love them? Why can't I have that love? And my mother would say, oh, well, God the Father loves you. Which, meanwhile, she had no relationship with Jesus or God the Father. All she knew was religion, dead religion. It was like a funeral in those churches. She used to take us there. And so that was the pain and abuse got so deep. I was so shy and introverted, I didn't talk for eight years in grammar school. <laughs> uh, you would not, I mean, I'm a, if you knew me then, you know, you wouldn't believe I'm the same person because God set me free years later. But so I graduated from high school. I um, went into the horse business. I ended up taking a bus to see my first boyfriend in Massachusetts at this horse place where I worked. These two evangelists were on the bus and God strategically had them sit right next to me and preach the gospel. So that's the first time in my whole entire life I ever heard the gospel, ever knew Jesus could be your savior or your friend or anything like that. I didn't know anything about Jesus. So I said the salvation prayer before we got to my destination. I received Jesus, and I felt his Holy Spirit come in me and the light, and I saw the difference between darkness and light. And I was like, wow, he opened my eyes to the Spirit. So um, then uh, three months later, I took a one, I bought a one-way ticket to Sicily to become a missionary. I ran away from home because I didn't want religion. I wanted to live. For, I was like a crazy, wild, fanatic, you know, baby Christian. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to preach the gospel in Sicily, Italy, and I'm never going back. I'm not, I didn't tell my parents I left. I was like, you know, if I tell them, they're going to try to stop me. So they were kind of upset about that. But anyway, so they found me. They got in contact with the embassy, the American embassy, and got me a ticket to come home So after three months. So, but then I went backslid because I still had the rejection spirits. I still had the curses, the generational curses were still in my soul. I didn't have healing and deliverance yet. And then my mother moves to Florida and my dad passed away. And then she said, come to Florida. So I left an abusive boyfriend relationship, came to Florida and changed, God changed everything. Revival suddenly breaks out in Florida on the East Coast. Rodney Howard Brown and all these evangelists from all over the world. And for 10 years, well, first of all, let me say, my mother took me and my sister brother out of our trust fund money that we were supposed to get from my grandparents who were very wealthy. And she never told us because she was so disappointed in her children. So we took her to the lawyer to update her living trust. And the lawyer looks at her and he says, why aren't you leaving any money to your daughters who are right here with you? They came to Florida to take care of you, and you're going to leave it all to your niece in California who's already a millionaire? And she's like, yeah, well, put them back in there because she knew we wouldn't stay. Because she, knew, We were like, what? She did that? What? We didn't know. So after she died, we got the trust fund money. That's how God knew what, it was, what I was going to do with that money. That's how I got to go to Toronto and all these revivals. And once I stepped into the supernatural realm of heaven, God started, I just, I was so desperate and hungry for God because I knew only he could heal the pain in my life. I wanted to be free so bad. I was so desperate. He puts this hunger in me that would just, every time I go and get healed, I'd, ha I'd be more hungry the next night for more. And I, I mean, literally 10 years of revivals, prophetic conferences, being in the open heaven atmosphere of healing and new levels of freedom and healing and then deliverance and generational curses he broke off of me. And, and what began to change at that point? Oh my like God, by, every, by having everything, these experiences. everything. I was in Toronto on the floor and I, and I heard God, the Father, speak to me at the Father Loves You conference and he said, I'm sorry you had a father. <laughs> they couldn't love you. <laughs> sorry. But I am your loving father. I love you. And then he said, um, 
I'm going to show you. Because I always said, if you really love me, show me, God. I need to know you. I don't want to just read the Bible like it's a book that was written a million years ago. I want to experience your love, you know. And he did that. He answered that. He was like waiting for me to say that, to ask him. And he was waiting to pour out his blessing to make up for all the hurt in my past. And that's what he did. So he said, I'm going to pour out my blessings. And that's when he gave me that trust fund back. And he took me to the revivals and he healed me. And I inherited this house. And I, I didn't work for 10 years. I didn't date. I didn't want anything to do with men because they always try to, you know, get in the way between my relationship with Jesus. And he took me into this intimacy, the bridal revelation, all this stuff. And it's um, told me how much he loves you when I was in heaven at one, one of the encounters at a bridal conference that Mike Pickle did. He, um, I was soaking on the floor and uh, the atmosphere of heaven. And uh, Jesus said, will you marry me? Will you be my bride? And I was studying the Song of Solomon at that time, and I said yes, and immediately takes me to heaven to his throne. And I'm sitting next to Jesus at his throne next to him, and he says, you were created to rule and reign with me. You're more precious than all the jewels and gems in heaven. You are valuable. You're my hidden treasure. felt valued or loved my whole life ever by anyone anyone I didn't have relatives that can go hey can I help you or anything I had no one I was isolated you know in my childhood from everybody um, I didn't have friends you know so I never experienced love of a father or really anyone it was very cold you know my my friend said she'd walk into our house it was like the atmosphere was as thick as a knife because my father was always angry at my mother because she had all this money and he didn't and he wanted the money and that was what that was all about so anyway so I would God bless me with horses to escape the pain in that my house to get away from my father so I'd ride my horses to get away all that was my healthy escape you know but um so yeah that's what when I heard Jesus tell me that how he sees me that's what changed me forever I was wrecked that was it I was like I was wrecked because I've never experienced love like that. It's a supernatural love. It's not an earthly love. And he poured out his passion from his throne. It's like a river of passion went into my heart and melted my heart and healed me. I was on the floor for hours. I just went on the floor because it was like the worship was so awesome at Toronto Revival. You know, I just melted to the floor and just was, he was pouring his passion in me. I got up the floor. I had a new heart. I was like melted, lovesick for Jesus. I was like, wow, I never knew how powerful his love was, you know, until he, until you experience it, there's nothing greater than his love, his love is stronger than death, his long, love is stronger than hell in the grave, and, you know, whoa, more powerful than any demon, then he delivered me from all the curses, I, I rose up, and, you know, I started taking authority over the devil, he told me, you have, I've given you authority to, you know, to break every curse, you know, and, and so I started agreeing with him, and, you know, coming against the devil and the rejection and all that. And once you take authority and you learn to walk in that authority, then Satan can't touch you. You know what I mean? Because then you, when you know the lies and you can come against him. So then, what would you tell um, our brothers and sisters that are listening? Somebody, let's say they've gone through the same story, haven't been delivered yet from that pain. Somebody is suffering yeah. from abuse from their father or rejection mm -hmm. from their father or their mm -hmm. mother. Yeah. What would you tell them? How would you introduce Jesus to them right now? Mm -hmm. uh, first thing I would say is cry out to God because he's waiting for you to cry out to him. Like a lot of Christians are like, why doesn't God do this or that? And I ran, you know, you run into his arms and cry out to him, you know, in your prayer room or wherever, in a revival, wherever. doesn't matter. God will meet you in that place because once you give him permission and you agree uh, with what he says about you, that gives you the power over the devil and Satan's lies. That gives you the power and authority to overcome the past, your past, and give him permission to heal you. Say, heal me, you know, I need you to heal me. You know, when you, even here, like when you come in a place like this, this is such a great opportunity. There's an open heaven atmosphere once the worship comes and the glory comes down. There's a supernatural realm of heaven, and God can heal you in three seconds in the supernatural realm. It doesn't take years of counseling. I went to Christian counseling to learn how to have healthy relationships and stuff. But there's nothing greater than his power and his love, and it's, you know, inseparable. His love is 
greater than any love. And he loves you. He doesn't see us the way we see ourselves because that's from the devil. We all come from a fallen world and there's no perfect families. There may be some that are a lot better than others, but you know what I mean? There's once whatever you need, just ask him and, and believe it that he, and just come up to the altar when you're worshiping and just, you know, yield to the Holy Spirit and say, you know, I'm here, you know, touch me, heal me, set me free. That's what he loves to do. There's always more layers in our soul. It's like the healing I don't think ever ends. I'm still go through layers of it. Why? Because there's still a devil that's still trying to, you know, come against me. But I'm way better off than I was. I, I mean, I was so shy and introverted. I, I, I couldn't function. And now you're outspoken. Because he set me free. Amen. Amen. Let's give a <laughs> hand clap. Thank you so much. This is so awesome. So, you see, these are just these are just bits and pieces. I know that every single one of us could write a, a book or numerous books on what God has done in our lives, the teachings. You know, so we've never heard their testimonies. And to hear their testimony for me as a pastor is so encouraging. Um I come from the streets as well. I was I was born in the church, ended up in the streets. I've been through abuse. I've been through abandonment. So when I hear these stories, I know the reality of it. I used to believe Jesus hated me. And in uh, August of 1998, I moved to Florida, and I went to a great revival meeting. I didn't even know. I just went because I saw the people on TV, and I said, if God hates me, then take me there because that's where God's going to take me. He hates me. He's going to tell me there. And I got called out in front of like 2,000 people. And I was told the opposite. God said, I love you. You know, and that day I encountered the love of God. And I was the kid on the streets. I was the kid smoking, drinking, sleeping around. And yet, it's taken all these years, since 1998, almost 25 years later, this is the result. <laughs> Somebody that would like to talk about Jesus. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Resting Place, South Tampa Campus. We hope you feel honored empowered and full of faith because of what you hear and we would love to see you at a gathering soon for more resources like this head to trpfamily.org